0: 16, 20, 24. Time for episode 259 of the Sports Wagon Podcast. It's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. The Friday edition of the show. Let's start by recapping the week. So it seems like the week seems to be the, the new, sort of normal here on the podcast. But we go back to Sunday, Super Bowl 58. Chiefs over 49 is 25, 22 in overtime. So crazy times here. So as you know, you know, kind of my thoughts about the NFL. and I haven't been watching for quite a while. I haven't watched a game in a while. So as I said, I mentioned this the last show, the last Super Bowl I watched was Atlanta and New England. And I believe that Super Bowl went to overtime. That was the last time Super Bowl went to overtime. And prior to the Super Bowl that week, the last week, um, my son was talking to my wife and he was like, he wanted to watch some football. So my wife asked me, so is college football still on? I'm going, no, no. College football's been off for about a month. I said, but Super Bowl's this weekend. So she goes, let's all watch Super Bowl. I was like, okay. So we watched Super Bowl with my son. I missed the halftime show. <laughs> I mean, I was trying to help him get himself together to go to bed. So, you know, it is what it is. But finished watching the game. Amazing game. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, three a three-yard touchdown pass to McCole Hardman with three seconds remaining overtime to win back-to-back Super Bowls. So in that series, the Chiefs won 75 yards and 13 plays. So for the Chiefs, this is their third Super Bowl in five years. Patrick Mahomes is your MVP. This is his third MVP award. He's tied for second with Joe Montana. He is two behind Tom Brady. And um, Patrick Mahomes is undefeated at Legion Stadium. So that's another little crazy weird stat. Um, The Chiefs become the first back-to-back champ since the Patriots in 04-05, and their fourth championship for the franchise. This game also had a, a number of records set. So both kickers for Kansas City and San Francisco both kicked long field goals. So initially, Joe Jake Moody kicked a 55-yard field goal. That was, I think those, if I recall, those the first points of the game. And then Harrison but Kerr kicks a 57-yarder to break the record, so they set the record, and then was broken the same game. I mean, again, I, it just it just gets so much better. So this is, I mean, I was really excited. Really, really good game. I mean, again, you know, this is kind of if if you're one of those folks that. Just watches the Super Bowl. Maybe you sort of follow football or you really don't, and then you come to the Super Bowl and get a really good game. I mean, hey, your week, your Sunday is made uh, by watching a really good game. So your final stats, Patrick Mahomes goes 34 for 46, 333 yards, a touchdown, and an interception, which the interception was, you know, not quite like him. But, again, San Francisco, you got to give them credit for their defense. They held this team. They had them dead to rights as far as points. But, um, and also remember the 49, I'm sorry, the NFL changed the overtime rules. And I think that kind of played a little bit into how this game got won. So we'll kind of come back to it a little bit later. Brock Purdy goes 23 for 38, 255 yards and a touchdown. And how about this, Javon Jennings. So he had a touchdown pass and a touchdown reception for the 49ers. He is the second player to do that in the Super Bowl. So congratulations to the Chiefs. We'll talk a little bit more about NFL stuff uh, and football a little bit later. Let's move over to college football. So, as expected, Bill O'Brien is Bill O'Brien rather is hired at Ohio State as the offensive coordinator. So, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, he was hired, but he took the BC job. Sorry. So, I wrote the show a few days ago, and I forgot to make my uh, edits here. But he was hired for the job. He interviewed for the BC job, and he took the job. So essentially what happens here is um, Chip Kelly, who is the head coach at UCLA, he is now headed to Ohio State as the new offensive coordinator. So when that happened, uh, UCLA athletic director Martin Jarman basically told the team that he will have a coach in place within four days. I think it took them about 24, 36 hours. They hired... Deshaun Foster so Deshaun Foster was the running backs coach under Chip Kelly he left he had just left to take the same job with the Raiders he's back he is a Bruin so in the introduction so they showed the video when uh, AD Jarman met with the team he basically said you know we want somebody who wants to be a Bruin but he said but we got somebody who is a Bruin And the players lobbied hard. They really wanted Deshaun Foster to get the job, and they got their wish. When he walked in the room, those guys went insane. It was such a beautiful video to watch. Congratulations to Deshaun Foster. He gets a five-year contract. And one of the things that they talked about in his interview, they said that his command of the room was amazing. That although, and this is kind of thinking about it practically, you know, a first-year head coach, has a steep learning curve or a first-time head coach has a steep learning curve. But they said that he has kind of a CEO type of presence. So, you know, understanding that as a position coach, you're only responsible for a small part of the team. Now as the head coach, you run this thing. So you've got to have the top-down vision. And and it's going to start with who he hires as coordinators but he also has a really good understanding of the NIL and how NIL is going to shape this team. And he really has the ability to go out and get some athletes, especially in Los Angeles and in Southern California. And that's kind of my thing. I've always said that, that, you know, between USC and UCLA, UCLA more so, it's like, you know, you got all this talent right here. And USC, they've always done a good job of, recruiting in Southern California as well as nationwide. But UCLA, I think they've got a unique opportunity here to really take advantage of the uh, the talent base that's present. And I think Deshaun Foster has all the pieces to do that. Plus, again, he is a graduate of UCLA, played the running back position. I mean, they were showing some clips, and I remember – man, I remember these clips and these games and you want to talk about a guy who was tough, ran hard, ran at you, knocked you on you, you know what, and just kept it moving. That was Deshaun Foster. So I'm really, I was really happy to see that he was higher because the list of candidates was long. I mean, he came up um, some other, some other names, some guys who were already internal to the program. But again, At the end of the day, I thought that was the best move, especially if you want to get somebody in there quickly to kind of go outside the organization to talk to a coach who's already established somewhere else. I mean, at this time of the year is really, really hard. But like any other coach, although he comes in as a UCLA guy, the thing that is is of concern is you know, guys are gonna transfer, guys are gonna leave. And Hopefully he has the ability to get the guys to understand that if you stay, if you stay, we can do something special. I mean, he can basically say, look, I've been in your shoes. Now the game has changed, but again, stay, we can make it happen. And I think the possibilities are there, but again, congratulations to Deshaun Foster on getting that five-year contract as the new head coach at um, UCLA. Um, Brian Kelly, 35 and 34 in six years. Last three years were winning seasons. So not terrible for Kelly, but think about this. And the other piece to this, UCLA is heading into the Big Ten next year. So the joke was on Twitter, well, Brian Kelly ain't trying to head coach in the Big Ten. Then I thought about it and go, but he'd rather be an OC of the Big Ten. Okay, whatever. Six of one, half a dozen of another. But again, was he – you, Ohio State has to pay UCLA a $1.5 million buyout. He got a three-year deal as the OC at Ohio State because as we talked about a couple shows ago, uh, Ryan Day says he's not calling plays anymore. And again, number of coaches have gone through this. So Jimbo Fisher went through it, and we all know how badly that went. Sarkisian. Sarkeesian. I believe he – I think they brought in somebody, I think, or Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian is still calling plays, I think. Anyway, a lot of coaches have gone through this, and they kind of start to understand that, you know, to kind of going back to Deshaun Foster saying that, you know, he has the CEO mentality that to think about the team globally. He has to have the top-down approach as far as coaching the team And that's really head coaching in a nutshell. I mean, you you know, if you're an offensive guy or a defensive guy, you you want to have your hands in the thing that, you know, you like to do. But at the same time, you kind of have to back off just a little bit and, again, manage the team holistically. So, you know, a lot of coaches are starting to get that. They're starting to understand that. And maybe they find that out the hard way that, okay, I'm coaching this team. This team is really good, but in certain situations, we can't get over the hump. So somebody has to come in and take the pressure off me so I can think about this whole thing more holistically. So, again, uh, and, and this is something I, I started thinking about the other day, and I may have mentioned this, that I would love to just sit and I'm going to have to plan this out and find the time <laughs> and who has the time these days to um, – Kind of start looking at all these conferences and realignment, start kind of looking at the conferences and previewing who's, you know, where everybody is, and then start previewing these teams and saying, okay, with these new conference alignments, you know, who are going to be the powers that are going to emerge and who are going to be everybody else. So, and I sort of, talked a little bit about this I think on the last show with NIL and how that will impact things all right let's move over to the WNBA so some free agency updates um the the most recent is Stephanie Dolson, so big mama Steph she's on her way back to Washington from New York she signed a two-year contract so Dolson's a two-time all-star she won the championship in Chicago in 2021 so the Mystics drafted her in 2014 and she spent three years of her career in dc before moving on to uh to chicago so this is a team this washington team is in kind of reshuffle mode so remember natasha cloud she's off to phoenix elena Deladon is choosing to take some time away from basketball so a lot of pieces that they got to put together, you know, Sykes, with Brittany Sykes, which Shakira Austin, uh Ariel Atkins. So they gotta, you know, put a lot of pieces together in Washington to try to kind of reestablish this team as a player in the WNBA. Um, Bria Hartley signs in Las Vegas, Kennedy Carter is back in the league in Chicago, and Emma Cannon leaves Indiana, Indiana to go to Dallas. So that's kind of a recap of some of the free agency things happening in the WNBA let's move over to NASCAR so last night the blue green vacations duels one and two went off at Daytona so the races as you recall are the way to set the field for the Daytona 500 so Toyotas I was thinking it's weird how my mind works I was thinking about this this morning and I you know wanted to you know shout out my man Drew I man I know you're out there getting it making that money but uh damn I just wanted to ask you some NASCAR questions but anyway my brain was thinking this morning I'm going you know is this the year for Toyota is this a year where a Toyota driver wins this thing but Toyota drivers have won it before, but I'm thinking, you know, is it Tyler Reddick's turn? Is it Bubba Wallace's turn? You know, I I see a Toyota winning this thing. And in thinking that, when I saw the results of the duels last night, I said, shoot, two Toyotas won this thing, duel one and duel two. So duel one, Tyler Reddick, speaking of Tyler Reddick, he started 19th, he wins the first duel. In the second duel, Christopher Bell led the final lap to win over 2022 Daytona 500 winner Austin Cendrick. So, um, uh, some other news here: two-time, I'm sorry, seven-time series champ, and recently minted NASCAR Hall of Famer Jimmy Johnson raced in the duels last night, and he is in the Daytona 500. So they gonna they're gonna have a little new school, old school thing happening in, in the 500. It's gonna be absolutely insane. So. Let's look at the field for the sixty-six Daytona Five Hundred. Your top ten: Joy Logano starts on the pole, followed by Michael McDonald, and then the winners of the duels, Tyler Reddick and Christopher Bell, are third and fourth. Chase Elliott rounds out the t- rounds out the top five. Six, as we mentioned, Austin Syndrick, the twenty twenty two winner, Alex Bowman seventh, Danny Hamlin eighth, Carson Hosevar at ninth, and John H. Nemechek at tenth. So, in the top ten, you have again Toyota. Four Toyotas, three Fords, three Chevys in the top 10. Notables in the field, Bubba Wallace is starting 24th. Uh, Kaz Grala, so he was, I guess, a wild card qualifier. He wins the, he wins, uh, he finished at, I think, 13th in the second duel to get the last spot in the uh, in the Daytona 500. And defending series champion Ryan Blaney was in, involved in a huge wreck in the second duel. He will start 30 seconds, So a lot of work for your defending champ. But it sounds like it's going to be a very, well, it typically is a very exciting race. So they'll go, what, 200, 200 laps, uh, two and a half miles, 200 laps. Yes, good math. My, my math is quick today. It, it's got to be the Friday thing. Anyway, we start 2.30 on Fox. So the green flag will probably drop sometime before 3 o'clock on Sunday. So the Super Bowl. Of NASCAR as the NASCAR season kicks off in earnest. When we come back, we'll get into college basketball, our recap of the week, the AP top 10 for week 15 for the men and women. We'll talk to some Caitlin Clark. So we got a Caitlin Clark update, uh, Black History Profile, and we got some dubs and L's. Stay tuned. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Let's get into college basketball. So for the ladies, the AP top 10 for week 15, starting number one, still holding the position, 35 first place votes at South Carolina. Up three spots at number two is Ohio State. Up three spots to three is Stanford. Down two spots to four is Iowa. And up two spots to five is Texas. Six through 10, NC State drops three to six. Kansas State up one to seven. Colorado drops four to eight. UCLA holds at nine and USC holds at ten. Your move is this week. Oregon State moves up six spots to number 11. So the Beavers are just outside the top ten. Uh, down four, in addition to Colorado, will be UConn down to 15. And, uh, Notre Dame down to 16. Uh, your highest vote-getter this week, number 26, is UNLV. Let's look back over the week real quick. Sunday, Nebraska took down number two, Iowa, 82-79. So I think there was a lot of um I think it was a little controversy in the game. I know uh Iowa head coach Lisa Bluder had a few things to get off her chest, and I think it wasn't made uh much more better, much better than the fact that because Iowa was the visiting team, uh, I think the protocol for the press room is that the visitors go into the press room first, you know, answer questions, and get on the plane, and Lisa Bluter, while one of the Nebraska players was being interviewed, I mean, you could hear out in the hallway really upset about the fact that they weren't allowed to go in, do their press, because they had to get on the plane back to Iowa City, but I think there was just, from the game itself, I think I think the it was the officiating, there were some things that she was very unhappy about, Uh, Number 17, Oregon State over number four, Colorado, 65-59. From Wednesday night, Aoka Lee returns to the Kansas State lineup from an ankle injury, scores 20.6 rebounds, seven blocks in 33 minutes, but K-State falls to Iowa State 96-93 in overtime. Let's look at the schedule for the weekend. Tonight, 8 p.m., Pac-12 Network, number 22, Utah, hosts number eight, Colorado. That game, uh, 8 p.m., 10 p.m., so check your local listings. This should be a Pac-12 game. Number 11, Oregon State welcomes in. Number nine, UCLA. So either Pac-12 Oregon or Pac-12 Los Angeles. Saturday, 1 p.m. ESPN. Plus, number 23, Oklahoma visits Morgantown to take on the Mountaineers, 24th-ranked West Virginia. Sundays for the ladies, 2 p.m. ESPN, ranked action from the ACC. Number 12, Virginia Tech heads to the Derby City to take on 18th-ranked Louisville. 3 p.m. on Pac-12, Oregon State does the Los Angeles Shuffle. They welcome in number 10, USC. Monday, check your local listings. There's no TV for this game listed as of yet. But this is a noon game from the from the Big East. Number 20 Creighton visits stores to take on number 15 UConn. Last night, Caitlin Clark hit a logo three-point shot in the first quarter to pass Kelsey Plum as the all-time leading scorer in women's college basketball. So Clark currently has 3,569 points in the game. In 37 minutes, Clark dropped 49 points and 13 assists as Iowa beat Michigan 106-89. to So here's where it gets crazier, ladies and gentlemen. So there's two more records that are still out there. So if you recall, the NCAA did not begin sanctioning women's basketball until 1982. So Lynette Woodard, in the AIAW era, is the leading scorer with 3,649 points. So that's the pre-NCAA era record. Caitlin Clark is currently 80 points away from breaking that record. Now, all time in men's and women's college basketball, there is the man we know as Pistol Pete Pete Maravich. So at LSU, so here's the so more history, guys. So again, you you know I'm gonna give it to you. So there was a time in college basketball, again, men played for years and years and years, and women didn't begin playing until the 70s and into the 80s. But there was a rule that freshmen could not play uh, in their first year of college basketball. So freshmen were not allowed to play. That rule ended sometime in the 70s. So Pete Maravich, he has the all-time college basketball record. He hit 3,667 points. And get this, he did this in three seasons. Maravich averaged 44 points a game. So kids, go do your homework read the history, find the YouTube videos. I'm sure some are out there, but I didn't, again, Maravich is before my time. I think when Maravich was playing, I was probably an infant. However, my dad told me about Maravich at growing up, and essentially he said he was probably the best shooter ever to play the game. I mean, anybody hit 44 points a game could probably just literally shoot the ball from anywhere. So here's the math. So currently – Caitlin Clark is averaging thirty-two point seven points a game, so let's round it up to thirty-three. So, if she, um, let's see, I'm doing, I did a little quick math earlier here. So, let's round up to thirty-three points. Four games left in her season. So, if she hits her average, that's one hundred thirty-two points. So, with that, she could break Lynette Woodard's record, but I believe she would be about. My math here says about 46 points short of Maravich's record. Now, also put keep in mind that we said Maravich's record was in three years. Woodard's record, I don't know. I'm assuming it's going to be a four-year record. But Clark has what? She could opt for a fifth year, which I, I think most of us can agree she's probably. I feel like there's a very good chance she's off to the league next year. If she came back for a fifth year, that would be absolutely insane. So if she did, she would have the opportunity to break Maravich's record and probably set herself apart. As pro- I mean, think about it: no one would ever break that record if she stayed for fifth year. So again, we'll see how it all goes. But again, the numbers are mind boggling. You know, you think about Maravich scoring damn near thirty seven hundred points in three years. Clark took her four years, averaging I don't know her. I'd have to go back and find what her career average is but she's currently averaging about 33 points a year I mean I'm sorry 33 points a game <laughs> but um again she hit 49 was it 49 last night let me double check that she hit 49 last night so again she's usually hitting above 33. so there's a pretty good chance she I think the chance is very good she'll hit over 33. She'll break Woodard's record, but I think she'll be a little short of Maravich's record, but we'll see how it all plays out uh, as the season continues with about four, I think, four or five games remaining. Um, The NCAA did their first women's seed reveal, and as a matter of fact, as I think about this, I don't know if they did a men's seed reveal. I feel like they did, but I'll double-check real quick. But let's look at the women's seed reveal. So here are your number one seed. So from your top number one seed to your... Uh, Low number one seed, South Carolina, duh, Stanford, uh, Ohio State, and Colorado. So those are your four top number, your four one seeds. Your two seeds, Iowa, NC State, UCLA, and Texas. Your three seeds, USC, Virginia Tech, Oregon State, and UConn. Your four seeds, Kansas State, LSU, Indiana, and Louisville. So let's kind of break this down here. As I look at these seeds, I mean, just some thoughts here. I think I kind of went through every line. Of the four number one seeds, I kind of feel like Colorado's the vulnerable, the more vulnerable number one seed. Now, again, many people say or conventional wisdom will tell you that the the lowest one seed is usually the most vulnerable one seed. But I think Colorado is a little bit better than we think they're going to be. This team, I think, might be a dark horse for the Final Four. Of your two seeds, Texas. Now, I say Texas because more so of injury. Texas is playing great basketball, but I think losing Rory Harmon hasn't really hurt them very much. But I do think of these four teams, I mean, state, NC State is, I am really I'm really surprised at the games they've lost because state can really, when they are on, when they are hot and they can shoot, they can kill you. Iowa, we know what you're going to get with them. UCLA, I think, again, very, very good team. I mean, I don't think I expected what I what I'm seeing from UCLA, but again, I think Lauren Betts is still out. I can't, I have to go check. But even without her, they're playing some really good basketball. Of the three seeds, I gotta say UConn. Again, it's more so the injury, it's more so the consistency. Again, anytime you get a UConn team. In a, in a NCAA tournament, they're going to be dangerous. But they haven't been as dominant as they've been over the number of years. So, again, I kind of say the of the three seeds, I would be a little bit wary about them making a deep run. They can make a run, a deep run I'm not sure about. Oregon State, their stock is rising. Now, again, haven't seen them play. Are they that team? They're definitely showing up and they could upset the apple cart. I'll I'll mention that again in a minute. Of the four seeds, Indiana and Louisville are quietly having good seasons, Louisville especially, because usually Louisville, they're usually very very much in the conversation, but they're quietly having a good season. I would say probably not the season that they would have expected, but they're quietly very good. K-State, I think, is going to be the – more vulnerable four seed at the top four seed the the top of the four seeds, but I kind of feel like they're a little vulnerable LSU. If the consistency stays intact, um, they've been dealing with injuries as well. They they're down personnel. If the consistency stays intact, I think LSU's got a good chance to get back to the final four. I think South Carolina can get to the final four. I think tech can get to the final four tech. They've got a good inside outside combination. They've gotten some transfers this season, uh there was a Kayla King can shoot I mean we know what Georgia Amor can do um the young lady Olivia Samil brings a lot of pieces to it so again Tech's got a lot of weapons I think I, their bench I'm not sure about I think they've got a decent bench but I think and I feel like their rotation is really short but I think Tech has a good opportunity to get back to the final four I think Stanford can get there Stanford showed me something in that game they played against I believe it was Oregon State yes it was against Oregon State uh, when uh, uh, Tara Vanderveer broke the coaching wins record, uh, Kiki Roffin is amazing. I mean, she oh boy, she had a game, and uh, again, just just such big things from her um uh, that I see, and I think State can can do it as well. Iowa, again, going back to when Iowa has lost games, it's the scoring balance. We know what Caitlin Clark can do, but can the rest of the team match that? If you've got Her scoring 40, 40 points and the other four players can get you 15 to 20 points, they're going to win. And I think early on in uh, the tournament, I think they'll meet up with teams that I think they will just over they'll be they'll overmatch them. But as they make that deeper run. As they play other teams with more height, with more defensive intensity, I think if the scoring gets shut down, if it's all Caitlin Clark and nobody else and the other team can take advantage of turnovers, out-rebound them, and get those shots up, second-chance points, it's over for them. I don't see them making the Final Four. That's just me. But, again, I think the consistency and the scoring balance, I think, is the piece that – Uh, does it for me as far as Iowa so we've got one more seed reveal on February 29th and then of course once we get to conference tournament time that's going to tell us the story because what there's always going to be an upset so we we always know who's on the bubble who's off the bubble the upsets are going to push people off the bubble or push somebody on the bubble and then think about these conference tournaments that's kind of the restart so some of these teams they know that They're going to go to the tournament, but they need a good showing in the conference tournament in the, I'm sorry, the NCAA tournament, and they need a good showing in the conference tournament to kind of up that seating, or here's a team that's on the bubble. So remember Pac-12 last year, Washington State won this thing. Nobody expected that. I got a feeling Oregon State could be that dark horse team that wins the Pac-12 this year, potentially, but again, they're their, their, their stock is rising. They're playing good ball. They've got some tests from UCLA and USC this week. So let's see how they how they fare in these games. Um, one note uh, from college basketball. So in 2024, they're going to have a a Champions Classic for the women's side. So as you know, at the start of every basketball season, there's a Champions Classic. So it's uh, Michigan State, Duke, Kansas, and Kentucky. And this one... Um, here are the teams for it. And I'm going to kind of pause for a second here. You got UConn, Iowa, Louisville, Tennessee. That's a no for me, dog. Um, Listen, let, 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 let's think about this for a second. What do Michigan State, on the men's side, what do Michigan State, Duke, Kansas, and Kentucky all have in common? At least they've won a national title, all of them, okay? Now, you can argue that, Kentucky hasn't won one in a while. Kansas is the most recent, has the most recent title. Duke is relatively recent, and so at Michigan State. They all have national titles. In this version of the women's, the, so it's called the Women's Champions Classic, is it not? So you got UConn, national champions. Tennessee, it's been a while, but they've got national championships. Louisville, unless I'm losing my mind, I don't recall Louisville having won a national title at any point. And then there's Iowa. Personally... If you're going to make it a Champions Classic, keep UConn, keep Tennessee. Throw Stanford and Baylor in there. That's just my opinion. Again, if you're going to call it a Champions Classic, the thing that all four teams should have in common is what? A national championship. But unpopular opinion for the day. All right. Let's move over to the men's AP Top 10 for Week 15. Still number one but 45 first-place votes is UConn. Holding at two with 16 first-place votes is Purdue. Up two to three is Houston. Up three to four is Marquette. Up three to five is Arizona. Six through 10, down two to six is Kansas. Down four to seven is North Carolina. Down two to eight is Tennessee. Tennessee. Duke holds at nine and up four to ten is Iowa State. Your movers this week: the Gales of St. Mary's from the West Coast Conference move up eight spots to eighteen. Wisconsin drops nine spots to number twenty. Into the poll this week: Virginia at twenty-one, Oklahoma at twenty twenty-three. I'm sorry, twenty-five, and the Sycamores of Indiana State up move in at twenty-three. Out this week: Texas Tech, San Diego State, New Mexico, and Utah State, and Utah State is number twenty-six with the most votes of the non-ranked teams. Last Friday, speaking of San Diego State, they lost 70-66 to Nevada in overtime. From Saturday, man, a swath of upsets, and this was across most of college basketball. It wasn't just Big 12 like it was last week. Rutgers, what is it with Rutgers? Rutgers, over the last two or three seasons, have really just been giving it to teams. They have just been knocking off teams, I think, it was Purdue, I think it was Purdue last year. I feel like they, yeah, Purdue last year, they took down number 11, Wisconsin, 78-56. Michigan State took down number 10, Illinois, 88-80. to And the SEC, Florida, take, took down number 12, Auburn, 81-65. Gonzaga, unranked, knocks off 17th-ranked Kentucky, 89-85. Texas A&M, here's another SEC team that I'm, I, I like, that they're, I, pfft, A&M. They are just, they are a team that is annoying. They will not go away. I remember Virginia played them early in season, and I'm thinking, okay, it's a Buzz Williams team. You know what you're going to get, but they've got some height. They've got some shooters, and those guys get after you. They are very aggressive. They get after you defensively. They took down number six, Tennessee, 85-69. to From Monday, Texas Tech took down number six, Kansas, 79-50. to Now, here's the thing. The Big 12, speaking again of the Big 12, the Big 12 is a mess from a standing standpoint. Kansas is seven and five in conference play and currently third. You heard me third. Texas Tech is tied with Baylor for second at and tied at fourth is BYU and Texas Christian at six and five. So um So so that's kind of the Big 12 in a nutshell. So the Big 12 is very topsy-turvy right now, and we'll kind of get to a little bit more about them in just a second as we look at the schedule for the weekend. From Tuesday, so Virginia gets into the top 25. It's probably going to be a short visit. Pitt beat them at home 74-63. That ended the nation's longest home-winning streak at 23. So Virginia, they shot 29% from the three-point line, and they lacked production from three starters and the bench. So that's kind of been the story of the season. So if you recall about two games ago Virginia played a Virginia like masterpiece against Miami. Um they're currently 19 and 6. Um again, that was the kind of the, the performance against Miami we were hoping for that they would just, you know, they they held Miami to their lowest point total since like post World War II. And and also remember that Miami Discontinue basketball for a good what 15 to 20 year period in the 70s. So it was a uh, between the 60s and 70s or whatever, or from the 70s to 80s. But anyway. Um, this has kind of been the story of Virginia this year, and it's frustrating. But again, it's kind of like you've got young guys, you've got you know players that definitely have potential, you've got guys who are going to develop he's uh tony bennett Redshirted some guys who are sticking hopefully will stick around and will be ready to play next season and provide a lift off the bench or a lift as a starter but again um you know again virginia's been on and off the bubble most of the season from from the ncaa standpoint i i really believe they are currently off the bubble at this point like off like they're not even being considered I I mean, at best, it's probably going to be an NIT team. Again, I hope I'm wrong, but, again, 19-6 and is not terrible, but you look at the losses they've suffered because, no disrespect to Pitt, I've said this before, Jeff Cable's a really good coach. I don't know why that man can't keep a job. I mean, he's doing good things, and then I I guess what ends up happening, he has a lot of success, and then it just kind of goes straight to you-know-where. But I figured – this would be the year, and I think I may have said this, that this is probably the year that Pitt kind of turns the corner. They are currently 16-8. and eight. Their stock is rising. So, again, you know, I kind of have a look at the ACC standings next go around um, to kind of see where everyone is because we are coming down the home stretch of the season. But Virginia's got some work to do. I mean, they've got to kind of get that magic back. They've got Carolina at home. They have to go to Duke. Uh, they got Wake Uh, At home on Saturday, and I believe the last time they played Wake, that wasn't a very good game. So remember early in the season, they played Notre Dame, got waxed at Purcell Pavilion. Notre Dame comes to Charlottesville and they, you know, after a little while, they smacked them around. I believe they lost to Wake. So hopefully they'll get their lick back against Wake. Um, but again, Virginia's got some work to do. I mean, again, it, it now boils down to the ACC tournament. So if they can win, get some big wins, if they can beat Carolina at home, if they can pull off a stunner again in Cameron and go to the ACC tournament and do some things, they may slide into the tournament. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like if they slide in, is it going to be a short visit? So, again, going a ha- lot needs to happen for the Cavaliers to – make something of the remainder of the season uh, further from Tuesday speaking of North Carolina they were upset by Syracuse in Syracuse 86-79 and then Indiana State lost to Illinois State 80-67 let's look at the Saturday action so ranked action on Saturday from the Big East number four Marquette visits number one UConn 3 p.m. on Fox so these are your top two teams in the conference UConn's is 13-1 and Marquette is 10-3. and This is the first of two meetings they'll meet in Milwaukee on March 6th. 4 p.m. ESPN, we start the doubleheader. Number 6, Kansas, heads to Norman to take on 25th-ranked Oklahoma. Then the 6 p.m. matchup from the SEC. Number 23, Kentucky, heads to Auburn to take on the 13th-ranked Tigers. Monday, 7 p.m. ESPNU for first place in the Big 12, the throwdown from the Fertitta Center in Houston, number 3, Wow! Uh, number three Cougars welcome in 10th ranked Iowa state. So let's move over to today's black history profile. So today's profile is on Alan page. So Alan page, he was the 1971 NFL MVP and is a two time defensive player of the year. So page, he was the first defensive player to be the league MVP. And throughout his career, he recovered 23 fumbles, but for page, Playing football was kind of, kind of to paraphrase his words, was kind of a part of a plan. So when he was eight years old, it was 1954. At that time, SCOTUS passed the or issued the Brown versus the Board Education decision. So at that time, he wanted to be a lawyer. He knew from that moment he wanted to be a lawyer. Um, essentially, and we know Thurgood Marshall became the first black judge appointed to the Supreme Court. But being the youngest of four, education was going to be uh, very expensive. And he said, quote, mind you, I didn't know any lawyers. I didn't have any lawyers in my family. But the power of the court's decision in Brown left me with the impression that the law was about fairness, about justice, about solving problems, and quite frankly, about helping people. So he began playing football at the age of 14. He earned a football scholarship to Notre Dame, and he was a first round pick of the Minnesota Vikings in 1967. Throughout his career, he played in four Super Bowls, and while he was playing, he enrolled in law school at the University of Minnesota, and he graduated with his JD in 1978. So at that time, he was released by the Bears, and he, I'm sorry, released by Minnesota and played and went to Chicago. And during his off-seasons, he practiced law at a leading Minnesota firm, and from that, that opened the door to allow him to become an assistant state attorney general in Minnesota. So three years later, he retired from the NFL, so that was 1981. And then in 1988, he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. In 1992, he won a seat on the Minnesota Supreme Court and thus making him the first black justice on Minnesota's highest court. He was reelected three times, and in 2015, at the mandatory retirement age of 70, he left the court, and he basically said, quote, my legal career was by design, my athletic career was by accident. So again, he you know, saw he had a dream. And he knew that or he kind of parlayed his football career into making that dream happen. But as he said, you know, athletics was not the end goal, that he knew that he wanted to impact lives in a positive way through practicing law. But I don't know if he ever foresaw himself in that position of being the first black justice on Minnesota's highest court, but I wanted to take this opportunity to essentially honor him today on today's show and also to kind of, you know, to thank him for his service and kind of, I guess, delivering a message that, you know, there's more to, uh, I guess, a, a career than just that career, that he played a a, a decorated career as an NFL player, but kind of knowing in the back of his mind that he could do, you know, he wanted to do other things and did other things and aspired probably Greater than his wildest dreams. So I wanted to take an opportunity to honor Alan Page on today's show. All right, let's get to gotta find my notes here. Let's get to dubs and L's. So I got a few dubs and L's for y'all today. Um I kind of feel like the dub is is a good thing, but is born of tragedy. So um let me let me get to one that's actually both a dub and an L. (laughs) I mean, I think we've done this before, but let's kind of go here. So Instagram, Instagram's great for seeing all these breaking news from ESPN. So you see the picture, you see breaking news, I saw Rob Manfred's face. I'm going, oh, what happened? So Rob Manfred is going to retire. I was like, yes, in 2029. Womp womp. I was like, are you serious? Get this guy out of here. I'm thinking Rob Manfred retired like right then and there. So Manfred signed a contract, and he's got what, what what, four, what five more years in his contract. So basically. You're telling us now that you're going to retire in five years. We don't care. Can you please retire now? Listen, we've got four sports leagues, professional sports leagues. You know, we'll just keep it to the four. There are others, but NFL, NBA, uh, NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB. Okay, fine. All four commissioners are terrible, they are the worst. Okay, Manfred, in and of itself, he I feel like Manfred is he he has these moments where he's he manages to be the better of the other three. Like him, and I mean, Adam Silver's starting to get a little weird, like he's starting to do dumb, crazy stuff, and then he's speaking out of turn saying, I mean, I don't know, it's like the NBA is. You know, it was a good decision to start. Now it's kind of like, okay, what are you doing, dude? So Silver's kind of out there. Manfred's a mess. Goodell's the absolute worst. And Gary Bettman's managing to get his way into the conversation because the NHL, with all the stuff that they're doing with the players and, you know, banning the pride tape, which I'm going, you guys have bigger issues. You guys have goons in your league. Can you, like, rein that in just a little bit? I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't mind hockey goonery. I I I appreciate it but don't goons have rules <laughs> I mean really goons have rules, don't they or 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 are we in a different era of hockey? I gotta ask a hockey expert about the rules of goons right now because I don't know I mean yeah, I don't know it, it's what it is but yeah um yeah, whatever and manfred get out of here dude just just take the next five years to actually, finishing cementing your legacy as a halfway decent commissioner let's try that and then we'll reevaluate this in a few years when you're close to retirement or when you retire if i'm still in the air we'll see but anyway yeah just do that now if you decide to retire early that will cement your legacy in my mind because you basically got the hell out of here a little earlier but anyway um the dub. Let's go to the dub. So as we said, the dub was kind of born out of the tragedy. So the Chiefs had their um, their uh, victory parade this week, and it was marred by a tragic shooting. And uh, I didn't get his name. Doggone it. So one of the offensive linemen from the Chiefs, and I saw it, I forgot to get his name. Anyway, he kept a young boy calm during the shooting. So I think he had a the, the, the lineman was wearing a, a WWE-style belt, and, you know, as the shooting broke out, he handed the kid the belt, and the kid was really scared. I mean, obviously, in that situation, you know, adults would be scared and startled, but children, for sure. And he handed the belt. He goes, hey, man, you're the champ. We're good. I got you. And they reported that, you know, Andy Reid and other members of the chief staff, I think they were on a bus. They were really just, you know, you know kind of getting people to calm down and to, you know, hey, let's— you know, ride this thing out until law enforcement gets this thing under control. And ladies and gentlemen, th- th- this is, this shouldn't happen. I mean, look, you have, you, if you're a listener, you have probably been to a uh, a, a victory celebration, a, a, a victory parade or victory celebration. And for me, unless I'm missing something, this is the first time I've heard of something like this. So apparently somebody had a dispute and decide to use a gun. And again, where are we in society when somebody brings beef to a, a victory parade, we're supposed to be celebrating, having a good time watching the players do whatever, say whatever, you, you know, you know, maybe you got a few players who are drunk, but it's all in fun. You know, it, it, it just makes for great Twitter videos and great Twitter fodder. fodder. But, we have, I mean, we we just keep reaching, not the bottom of the barrel, we keep going beyond the bottom of the barrel. It's like, what's funny about this, or, well, not funny, but sad, funny from a thought standpoint is that the people who are the gun nuts will probably look at this and go, well, it's just some thugs. But my whole thing is, I don't care who it is. If you're walking around here, the, walking around here with a gun, and your intent is to use that gun to solve a interpersonal dispute, something's wrong with you. Again, what? Where are we as a society? If you have a problem with somebody, okay, I get it, but why do we need a gun to solve the problem? Guns are a problem in this country. Again, we can't seem to figure out how to stop school shootings. We can't seem to figure out how to stop public shootings whether it's in a mall or a victory celebration we what is happening we've got to fix this problem again this is not a left of the aisle political problem this is not a right of the aisle political problem this is an american political problem and it's just like the folks on one side of this it's like how did the gun lobby control this country well we know how but it's just ridiculous we've gotten to the point to where we just keep we just keep lowering the bar as to where people are going to begin shooting. And I believe what two people were killed, uh, in, in this, in this shooting and, you know, and condolences to their families. But I mean, again, senseless, absolutely senseless considering the event that we were just witnessing. But again, you know, to the people who, had to stop this to the members of the Chiefs who had to you know you know kind of get out of this mindset to kind of hey help people to remain calm and safe. Salute to them. Salute to y'all. But again, this is a dub. I say you know salute to y'all. But it, it just shouldn't have happened. It's a salute to people doing the right thing when two people just do the wrong thing. Uh, my L this week. So speaking of football, going back to the Super Bowl. So after one season, San Francisco fires defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes. So there's a couple ways we can look at this, but I'm going to look at this from the from the quote that I read. So Nick Bosa. So here we go. Nick Bosa um, said basically that Steve Wilkes, in so many words, didn't prepare us. That the Chiefs were running, was it, a, like a read, kind of a read option kind of play. And... Um, so I, I, t- I, responded to the tweet, um, that the San Francisco writer wrote and I said, so their defense held them to 19 points and they, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't win this game. Like, what's the problem? I, that's what I said in so many words. I can't pull up the tweet right now. I could, but I'm not gonna, going to, but anyway, so one of my buddies, so shout out my man Lamont, he, he, he responded to this. And he was clever. He posted four pictures, and he said, huh, it's funny that they say they couldn't stop it. So he said, it's crazy to me how they couldn't stop it because they kept running it to this side, and he circled where they ran it to, and he goes, here's the player who couldn't stop it. And guess who it was? Every time they ran it Nick Bosa. So let me get this straight. Your inability to stop a play is based upon your defensive coordinator not being able to prepare you for a game when you are what top three defense you got to the super bowl and it was your job to stop it they ran it at you yeah i hope nick bosa never wins anything in his life because i think he's spending too much time being racist (laughs) instead of focusing on playing football but The other conversation we're not ready for is Kyle Shanahan. Did he just choke another one away? Yes, he did. So, ladies and gentlemen, as I thought about it, watching the game, I'm going, Steve Wilkes should still be employed. But that's a whole other conversation that we've had before and a whole conversation that most of you aren't ready for. But this is where we are. And thus, this is why the NFL is freaking garbage. There we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, with that, I leave you on this Friday. So I'm going to, still a little early in the afternoon. I got some things I got to finish up, but I hope you're having a great Friday. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. We got a lot going on. So some point next week, I'm hoping maybe by Wednesday, but (laughs) if not by Wednesday, you'll hear from me next Friday. But we'll recap the week. We'll get back to college basketball. We'll try to hone in a little bit more on what's happening and uh, conferences we will update any news from the NFL if it happens. WNBA, of course, will recap NASCAR and anything else that comes up. But remember, follow me on social media, Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Like the show, subscribe to the show, tell a friend, uh, give me a five-star rating if you can. Email the show with comments, questions, concerns. Be nice. <laughs> be nice. Don't be a dick, okay? And as I always leave you, I know spring is coming. Spring will be here real soon. Uh flu season is cresting about now. There's still time. Stay healthy. Get your flu vaccine. Definitely get your COVID vaccine and also remember to drink your water and mind the business that pays you. Peace. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sports Wagon podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. You can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at it's Uncle Dub. That's I T S U N C L E underscore D U B. Also please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sports wagon pod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.